DealQuest listeners, I am so excited to have Dr. Pat Ballone on the, an upcoming episode of DealQuest. Um, Dr. Pat is, was, was a chiropractor and is in uh, you know, the medical field and helps so many people. And we're going to talk somewhat about what she does, but we're also going to talk about some deals that she did, especially buying and selling a practice. Dr. Pat, tell the listeners a little bit about what we're going to hear on your episode of DealQuest. Oh, we're going to talk about like how a deal kind of came together, um, things that were struggles in order to get the, you know, in order for us to be able to purchase the um, office in the first place. So there was like, you know, hurdles to go over more than a couple of them. And you're going to hear like success stories about like, you know, how we got there and then how we fostered the practice into a growth spurt that was approximately 15 to 20% each year. And I had the practice for 10 years. Um, before I sold it. And, you know, how I got to the decision of like, what kicked me out of the idea of like, you know, I need to get out of brick and mortar and do something different. And um, so we'll cover that. And we'll, you know, cover a couple other things that, you know, I did along the way. And afterwards that, you know, enhance what I do today, which is coach, I help people strategize their health. And I help people reach the limit of like what are upper limits of their health and how to get there without having the stress of trying to figure it out. Listen, DealQuest listeners, check it out. I mean, in Pat's story and everything that she shared, there were so many lessons that we were able to sort of pull out for folks in any profession looking to do a deal. So definitely check out Dr. Pat's episode on DealQuest. Thank you. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions, smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Dr. Patricia Ballone is a certified functional medical practitioner, coach, chiropractor, speaker, and author. She has helped thousands over the last 35 plus years stop adapting their lifestyle to pain and chronic problems by focusing on the whole person. The result is that her clients and patients find out the why and the cause of the problem and identify the starting point what, why, where, and how to begin their health journey to live longer, better, and healthier. Dr. Ballone is the founder and principal of Ask Dr. Pat Health Team Network, a company dedicated to skyrocketing your health, lifestyle, and mindset with strategies and programs that make sense and help you feel and help you age gracefully, think, move, and feel better, and live longer and happier. Well, who wouldn't want that, right? <laughs> Dr. Pat, I don't welcome. know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so folks, uh, you know, with, with that intro, you might have a question as to the relationship to deals, but hang in there because you're going to find out because anybody in, with any background in any profession, this is part of what I talk about on the show is that 
any company in any profession at any stage can do deals. And you'll see how Dr. Pat has, has, has done deals. So Pat, um, before we get into a little bit more about what you're doing now and your history with, uh, with deals, I want to take you back to when you were growing up as a little girl, maybe eight, 10, 12 years old. Um, what did you want to be? Because um, for a lot of people, what they're doing now is not what they thought they were going to be doing as, a, as little kids, but you tell me. Well, um, somebody asked me that question yesterday on a podcast and, um, oh, my aunt, and, and they asked me, um, you know, when I was a little girl, when did I know that I wanted to be a doctor? And I said, I probably didn't know I wanted to be a doctor, you know, exactly. But I always played being a doctor. I never was the nurse. I never was the patient and I never died. And so, <laughs> you know, and I started playing doing that when I was four years old. And wow. so, and, and I always was really quite interested in science um, and, and, and being, you know, well, I used to do, do these like, you know, silly experiments, like um, eat ice cream, you know, ice cream, you know, popsicle walking down the street in the dead of winter, you know, thinking that if I did that, I wouldn't be, you know, cold, wouldn't be freezing. And I wasn't, it was either a mindset, you know, or it was a placebo or whatever, but, you know, it, at eight, nine, 10, I was still, you know, and I was very science driven then. And, um, you know, I had a teacher that entered um, a project of mine into the science fair um, competition in Michigan at that time. And I came in second place. Um, and, you know, so I, I had, um, you know, I, I was leaning that way, but didn't know that, so to speak. Got it. Got it. Well, it, it, it just, the popsicle thing reminded me of something that's sort of the opposite, but probably the same, uh, maybe the same concept. Um, when I was in India, um, in, uh, I think it was 2001, uh, it was, it was, we were in the South, the South of India, it was August, it was, you know, hundred degrees. Um, and you know, the Indians like, uh, like the British, uh, you know, for, I guess coming out of colonial rule, drink a lot of hot tea, even when it's hundred degrees mm -hmm. and their theory on it. And the theory on it is that actually, because you get the hot inside your body and it more sort of uh, equalizes the gap between your <laughs> internal body temperature and the outside, outside that it actually makes you feel cooler. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's, uh, maybe it's the same, but opposite principle of your-, uh, of your Well, I can uh, tell you the exact reason why that happens. And the reason why okay. that happens is because your body is hot inside, so your pores are gonna open. Ah. You know, and Chinese, the, that Chinese yeah. principle of that, because I have a background in, um, as a, I have a master's in oriental medicine is that's why they tell you never to sleep underneath a fan, you know, during really hot and having that wind on you, because then you can, you know, it, it sets you up for perhaps, you know, a cold and that type of thing. But what happens uh, is the pores it, it, actually open, you know, so it's, uh, so your body sense. can cool off, but that's the technical reason. Well, I didn't know the technical reason, but when I had the hot tea in the hundred whatever degree heat, it actually did make me feel cooler. And again, mm -hmm. I had the same question on whether it was just psychological or whether there was a uh, physiological reason. It sounds like there is. So uh, yeah. interesting. <laughs> All right. What, one more question before we get to the present. Um, what was your first deal of any type? It could have been something small when you were a kid or it could be later, just anything that comes to mind that you, know, you thought of, you know, that or maybe you think back of it as a deal. Well, um, you know, as a kid, even at like that four or five year old thing, um, I started the lemonade stand and um, out in front of my house. And, um, you know, I had went and bought the lemonade, made, you know, made the lemonade, put my sign up. I put a sign up. I was maybe three houses in. There was a big um, kind of shopping center. And so I would close down to the shopping center. Like when people exited, put a sign up. 
you know, buy lemonade with an arrow going this way like this. And we were only selling lemonade then like for three cents. I mean, it wasn't in, in the glasses, right. you know? And so as soon as like we went through 10 of them, I ran in the house and washed them again, you know? And so when people, you know, came and they always came past my house to go to the main road to go wherever, you know? So location, it was lo location, location. location. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, so that, that was the first thing. And I babysat, I baby and I, I negotiated so price and, you know, shoveling snow, things like that. The classic first entrepreneurial ventures, you know, that's mm -hmm. uh, so, such a common story. All right. So um, before we jump into into deals specifically, uh, you know, obviously I, I uh, gave some of it in your in your bio, but talk to us just a little bit. Give us a couple of minutes on uh, what you do now and you know, specifically who you serve. Is there a particular, you know, demographic that you lean towards, uh, uh, you know, and, and just give us a little bit more about how you help people. Well, um at present, um, I am um, rewriting um, and um, upgrading my Stronger Than Medicine course, which is geared towards um, a busy uh, female executives, you know, who need to get more out of their day, need to have more balance and have a lot more energy at the end of the day so they can switch from being the working mom to the mom mom you know um and get the get that handled so their relationships that really matter when they get home they're 150 percent present mm. love it okay so that's the, the current focus all right so listen you know I, I sort of set this up a little bit in the intro um and uh you know talking about really how you know and it's one of the fundamental premises of this podcast is that no matter what business you're in, what size of business, what stage of business, what industry you're in, there's always a deal that can, you know, that can be done. And you have some experience um, uh, in buying and selling uh, a practice. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. Well, you know, when um, I, uh, when I first started practicing, um, I wanted to work for somebody who really had I, I thought at that time had their practice really together and had all the glue in the right places. And I did, I was able to work for somebody who really had communication down, you know, when to say, what to say, how to say. Um, and so I had a really good teacher for one year and then I was married at the time. So I sent my husband out and we looked at a practice that was on Cape Cod and I was in Boston in Cambridge working and so he did the, the demographic research for around where this practice was at. And the practice was sold, was being sold and it was underserved. They saw like maybe 30 patient visits a week. You know, the guy wasn't really busy, you know, that type of thing. And it made sense, dollars and cents wise made sense. And so we went ahead to try to get this practice. And we went with a, tried to get a conventional loan to get it. And we didn't have enough credit because we were right. very green behind the ears. And you know, and I can remember this girl that's now like, you know, Bank of America, but then it was Bank of Boston, you know, sitting behind her desk when I asking for a mere $20,000, you know, and $5,000 yep. buffer for expenses, telling me like, how do you ever expect to make, you know, over $200,000 a year, <laughs> you know, because that's what you're going to have to do in order to pay this kind of loan back to us at current rates. And um, I looked at her, I said, well, if I can't do that, then I, I like wasted all this time and this energy into this profession. And, um, and so at any rate, they turned us down. And yeah. so we flipped so, it around. So, so, so before you go on, I just want to say like, how many, how many business uh, owners have run into this, right? You know, you, you start out, you, you have that classical, you know, entrepreneurial confidence and, you know, that you can build this thing. But with the, the bank's not looking at your confidence, the bank's looking at, you know, 
uh, past financials, your personal credit, you know, all those kind of things, which mm-hmm. it's difficult to have as a, you know, as an early stage entrepreneur. Okay. So you get turned down, which is, which is something that happens to a lot of folks. Um, but unlike some folks, you don't quit. So what do you, what, what happens next? What, so you know, my husband and I pivoted and what we did is we went for an SBA loan and yeah. the guy loved him. He was French. The guy loved him. You know, he had that French accent like me, we, and, um, you know, and he wanted to help him. He wanted him to have that all American experience. When you come to America, you can live your dream. And yes. so he helped him piece the pieces of the puzzle that were missing in our proposal to the SBA. And they ended up giving it to us and they ended up giving right. us the whole amount that we asked for. So, when I went into the bank to pick the money up, you know, so that we could handle the transaction, the, uh, well, whoever was the VP at that branch, you know, looked at me and said, well, I'm going to withhold some of this money. And I, excuse me. And I sat there, you can't do that. And he said, why? And I said, because I need that money to run this business. You know, yeah. and I said, so you, I go, we didn't negotiate 20. We negotiated $25,000 to buy this practice. And I said, I need the whole thing. And I just shut up. And my husband started to say something that I kicked him. <laughs> and just, to, and I was sat there and the guy just like, he goes, okay. You know, so I did business with that bank the whole time I was there. And when I was courted from other banks there for their business, why I was in business there, I always turned them down. I said, you had an opportunity and you blew it. And I said, so, you know, I go, here I am, you know, and I said, I go, and I have a working relationship and I wanted to buy x-ray equipment, you know, and, you know, they didn't want to, like a, a bank didn't want to give me the money for that. I just paid cash for it. <laughs> just because I knew I was going to be using it. And I knew that we were already in that realm of like, you know, our, you know, our sales were, um, and our, our bottom line by the end of the year was trip like six times the amount of what we bought it for. Love it. All right. So I want to, hold on. I want to take, take people back because there's a few things in what you said that I think are instructive and important. So first of all, I love uh, that with the banker when they would try to push back and hold some money back that you, made it a affirmative statement and then you went quiet and you kicked your husband to be quiet. Um, people underestimate the power in negotiating of silence, mm-hmm. right? And it is such a tendency to want to fill that void. And the truth is, you know, silent. and some people, over, you know, they learn that as a tactic and they overuse it and it becomes very artificial. But if you use it effectively, right? If you're willing to just stand in what you want and then be silent, other people become uncomfortable and, you know, it's, it's harder for them. You know, if you were constantly talking, it's easier for them to just keep coming back at you. Um, so that was, that was brilliant. I've, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's an underutilized negotiation approach. So I wanted to highlight, highlight that. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other thing is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so interesting to me when I often talk about how um, there's a natural conflict often between lawyers and business people, because lawyers are over-indexed generally on risk because, when we go to law school, all we, all we, I mean, there are, you know, all you do is, is, is learn about cases in court. Well, there are no cases in court on things that go well. The only thing that goes to court is when things go bad. So that's okay. Right. You spend all your time. True. And, um, uh, you know, and that's been basically a competitive advantage for me to be able to balance that, you know, the, the important analysis of risk with the entrepreneurial opportunity. 
but bankers are that way as well, generally, right? You know, so mm-hmm. so you know, um, so when you uh, you know, so it's interesting, and and uh, so you one was able to convince you know get the SBA loan and convince them to give you all the money, and then there was another circumstance in which you just said you just bet on yourself, right? And said, mm-hmm. well, all right, I'm just gonna pay for cash for this because I I know it's gonna happen, and that's that entrepreneurial mentality which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so now you so you sort of gave us a preview of the ending. So now between that, you build up the patient load over time through organic growth, doing great work. However, you built patients. You can talk about that a little bit. And then um, and then you uh, what was the difference? Uh, you don't have to share exact numbers, but multiples or whatever, you know, in the value of the practice by the time you sold it. Well, um, you know how what I did um, for the patient portion of that is the. For the first like four or five months, you know, we were basically on our own. So, um, and we wanted to go back to France for Christmas. And, you know, my husband was scared that if we went Christmas, then we wouldn't have any patients when we came back. And I said, don't worry. I said, we're the best chiropractors on Cape Cod. I mean, you know, and I said, they will be there. We're only taking two and a half weeks off. And everyone has that week off anyway for Christmas. You know, and so they are, you know, rather be with their families and the such. So um, when we left at that point in time, we were the when we bought the practice, uh, the guy we bought it from was seeing 30 patient visits a week. Uh, by the time that we were um, at the end of the year, we were seeing 125. Wow. And so, well, so you know, in that short times. period of time. So what we did is we did talks in the office. Yep. Anybody that I met that looked like they were, you know, I'd walk up to people. It's like, God, how long have you had that shoulder problem? You know, and I said, look, it, come on in my office, no charge for the consult, you know, and I said, if I have to do x-rays, then we'll do x-rays. And I said, you know, uh, but there'll be a charge for that, but you can come in and find out why you got the problem that you got. And if you like what you hear, then maybe we're the chiropractors for you. And so, you know, and then, you know, so that, and we made goals, you know, so we, you know, um, we didn't have um, computers then. So everything we did was on like layout sheets. So I managed my practice by statistics. So I looked at, you know, how much room do we have for patients on the books? Like, you know, how many new patients do we want for the week? And then I would go out and I would raindrop everybody back in. So I would go to the health food store. Anytime I was out, I always had 20 cards with me and um, I would just have people have conversation. I said, come on and see me. We're new chiropractors in town. And, you know, and I did things like for like Cape Cod Community College um, when they'd had uh, uh, health, not health fairs, but work fairs, you know, career fairs. I would go have a booth there for women so women could, you know, have a different profession or think about it. Um, and so I had a lot of um, women, you know, even at that point in time, our office men and women. Um, and, you know, I always, you know, and I had kids, you know, and that type of thing. So, you know, it, the practice kept on growing and kept on growing. We improved the uh, statistics approximately 15 to 20% every year, you know, and then we hit a certain level that we just, cause there was only so much physically that we could do. Sure. And then sure. shortly before all that, you know, then, um, I got divorced. So I went from having okay. a practice that we were doing together to working the whole practice on my own. And so when that happened at Mushroom, you know, and I always, and my first fear was that when he left, because I always thought he had this French accent and, you know, people, that's what the people, the people skill part of that was. Um, And, you know, and all of a sudden I had like way too many people that I had to like really back off or else my health was going to start, you know, fading. 
um, because I couldn't really keep up with that. So I looked for an associate doctor and another associate doctor. So yep. we expanded in, in that realm, you know, and I hired the right people for support for me when I was working, you know, and so that I could stay focused and have be on purpose, be on, you know, focus and be on intention. So that pe when people came in, they all used to say like, how do you remember all this stuff? I lied. I used to just put post-its sure. on, my, on my travel card then because everything was paper, you know, and I'd say like, hey, how was that? You know, and they were just, and people really liked that engagement. That was your, uh, your post-it note CRM system. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That would never float today, but you know, you know like can't have those type of things, but um, but it, it worked really well. And I did uh, more things. I did a TV show, um, you know, was interviewed on a holistic TV show um, that was mm -hmm. like way out there. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I did things to, you know, I can talk to anytime somebody asked me to talk, I talked, you know, I talked in front yeah. of the Rotary, the Lions Club. Um, I uh, went to, um, you know, Better Business um, had on the, the Cape had a women's uh, a chapter, you know, and a friend of mine brought me there, you know, um, and it was all women. So she just introduced me as the best woman chiropractor in Cape Cod. <laughs> and although there's a couple other chiropractors that went, wait, wait, what about me? But it was, it was really great because it was such camaraderie. Like when I went out to go buy vegetables and fish, because Cape Cod's rather small, I it would take sure. me an hour to get out of the vegetable stand because people were like, Dr. Pat, what are you doing <laughs> right, right. tonight? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was, it was really great. And then I had, you know, and I never said no to anybody. I made sure that mm -hmm. if somebody was in pain, if somebody needed to get in, you know, I never said no. I always said yes. So that was my, one of my models in my office. I always say yes. So let me, let me ask you a question. Did, did you at any point, did you have it in your mind that you were going to sell the practice at some point or did that just come up? Uh, you know, like what was that, was that planned? Oh, I'm going to have an exit. I want to move on to other stuff. Or what, while you were building it, did you think you were just going to do that for, you know, the foreseeable future and then an opportunity came up? How did well, that all I, come about? I really didn't have a plan, you know, on, okay. and until I got divorced. And so when yeah. I got divorced and I had to buy my husband out of the practice, then I started looking around going, wow, Cape Cod's not the place to be single. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, you had to have the laterality to be able to leave a lot. So that made me work, you know, like really be more concentric with how I worked and how I spent my time and what my additional trainings were and where my certifications were, you know, so that I had a um, textbook or my toolkit was, you know, being engorged during that time. And so um, when I decided to sell the practice, um, I was actually in California um, I, for New Year's Eve. And um, that New Year's Eve, I was sitting there watching the fireworks and everything. And I just heard a voice go, it's time to get out of there. And so I looked for wow. the right person to market my practice, you know, and look through the stages of what I wanted to go through. And I literally, by the time they finished doing their, um, you know, like where they, they were assessing the pluses and the minuses and everything else and what the practice is worth and that type of thing. Um, you know, I had um, the next thing, you know, I sold it and I literally sold my practice within this guy goes, it takes a long time to sell a practice. So sure. when someone came within like maybe three months, you know, and bought me out for the price that I wanted to be bought out for, you know, they just, I just went, I, it's a sign. <laughs> and, and I, you know, and I really wanted to be more in Boston. I really wanted to do more one-on-one -on -one client work and coaching work, which no one, they didn't call it coaching then, you know, either. Right, right, so right. it was just my, um, 
you know, I started calling it that. I said, uh, when I went to Boston. So I had people who still called me, who still wanted to come and see me um, when they were in Boston. Um, and I didn't do that because I had an agreement not to compete. And I also needed to just sure. take some sure. downtime, you know, too. But, sure. you know, um, but I bought the practice. I was in like the, the high, uh, right around the, the 500s when I sold it. And that's what I walked away with and realized. So, so I want to go back a little bit and break down a couple of things. So first of all, you know, what I love is one of the things we talked about is, uh, you know, you did a lot to organically grow the practice to get more, you know, more, more patients, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you talk about all these things you did from radio shows to talking people in the supermarket to doing, you know, uh, talks to uh, all that kind of stuff, which is great. And, and this is where the tie-in on, um, you know, be, and, and, and for a while you were growing the practice with your husband with not an intention to sell it. And then at some point, you know, you realize. So the, the, the thing that's, that's always instructive to me and I talk to people about it is that, you know, having great organic growth, knowing how to build, you know, a business makes sense whether you're selling it or not. But, it, but what it certainly does is if you do sell it, right? I mean, you make more money while you're, if you, if, while you're operating it, but it also increases the value mm -hmm. when you sell it because the more, you know, the more uh, uh, profit you have, the, you know, the more somebody's going to pay for it. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that definitely happened with you, um, which I love. And then, yeah, like that, that and then there's, a, uh, you know, what's fascinating to me always, especially in the entrepreneurial world, and we don't, you know, it's, it's talked about more these days than it used to be. But, you know, that sort of tie in with our own personal life and our vision, not only for business, but for our lives. Right. You mentioned, OK, well, it was different. I got divorced. Uh, Cape Cod's not a great place to be single. You know, those things affect small business owners and our decisions on what we want to do with our businesses. And, um, you know, I think um, uh, I'm always a believer in that. Why start or own a business as an entrepreneur unless it's creating the lifestyle you want, supporting your mm -hmm. life goals, right? You know, mm -hmm. too many people buy themselves yeah. a job. And whereas they're excited that they don't have a boss, I mean, I'm not judging anybody, but I, I know some folks who become self-employed, which is very different than being an entrepreneur, and they feel stuck and they're not achieving their life goals anyway because they're just, you know, working at something, you know, to have, to have the money come in. And you let your business evolve and eventually sold it consistent with your life goals and your desire to evolve, uh, you know, and your evolving life circumstances. Well, you know, my, my mentors, um, my mentor, when he was still married, his wife was doing some work out in Boston. She called me up and said, where do you live? And I said, Cape Cod. She said, how long does it take to get there from wherever she was at? And she came and stayed for about four or five days. And after the third day that I worked, when I got, when I arrived back to the house, she had a bottle of wine open and two glasses. And she said, here, have a glass. Here, here have another one. You know, <laughs> and here, have another one. I said, why am I the only person drinking? And she said, because she goes, I want to explain something to you. You know, killing yourself for no apparent reason, you know, doesn't make sense. Wow. And, and so and I've always had a very good relationship with both of them. So even as like when, you know, I used to babysit, I used to babysit their four kids. And um, he grew a company from his father from a, um, from the, the garage you know, into a multi-zillion dollar company that did import export. And so, you know, he, he, you know, that I always was under the watchful eye, you know, but when she, when she said that, she said, so what are you going to do? I mean, it's just like, what, what do you do here after you finish working? So you work all day long and you do what, you know? And so, 
um, that was a pivotal positioning because that she always planted seeds and then walked away. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. so when I started thinking about that, I started looking around, you know, and I had a couple friends from Europe come at the same time who said the same thing. They go like, what's there to do here? You know? And so like, I guess if there's nothing else to do, you should work. But I didn't want to make my whole life about working. I wanted to make my life about helping sick people get well and well people to maintain their wellness. And I'm going, God, you could do that anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, you just got to like, like where you're at, maybe a little bit, you know, and then be able to have some interaction with that. But that was the point that that's how that happened. Love it. So let's delve into just a little, I mean, you know, we don't get have to get too far, but a little into the details of, uh, of the deal, because you said, you know, you walked away with a nice multiple. Um, you know, how was that deal structured? Was there some amount of front payments over time? Uh, you know, uh, and, and, you know, talk to me a little bit about how that was set up. Well, you know, I had um, a really great attorney, you know, who mm-hmm. was, he was also a um, minister in ethics. And um, so anytime I would get whipped up about something, <laughs> he yeah. would just say, okay, let's think this out, you know, and yeah. like, what, what's your end goal? And, but I wanted a significant down payment, yep. you know, and then how that deal um, ended up working is that I got that down payment you know, and we, you know, and we pieced the pieces of the puzzle together, like what was going to stay there, what wasn't going to stay there, what art was going to stay, what, what did he want? Um, and then, you know, he paid me over a period of time. I don't remember if it was two or three years, something like that. Yep. And um, where my only mistake in that deal was, is that um, uh, it was like on December 27th, he paid me off oh. and I didn't have a clause. I didn't have a clause in with a penalty. Um, that if he paid me off. So my taxes that year were like a nightmare because right. of that one stupid thing. Cause he paid me off about, I think a year earlier than right, what, right. We, so what he, we talked he, about. He pre, he, right. He prepaid to get it. Yeah. And right. And uh, yeah, so, yeah. Makes sense. But, okay. But, but, but listen, you, you know, but you got, you got paid all your money, which is great. You didn't have any mm-hmm. headaches, which is great. And you got to move on that was perfect. to mm-hmm. what you were, you know, what you were looking to do next. That's, that, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So, um, so what is it that, um, I, I don't know if you can answer this question because obviously you've had your own experience, but maybe, you know, some other, my impression just all, you know, over the years, the chiropractors that I've known, when I look at anybody in the medical field and related fields, it was doctors, dentists, you know, chiropractors, you know, ophthalmologists, opticians, like all of the surrounding Mm-hmm. It seems to me like chiropractors tend to, on on average, be way more sort of entrepreneurial um, than I've seen a lot of other folks in and around the medical field. Uh, do you find that? And and uh, you know, is my you know my impression right? And if, and if so, do you have any thoughts on why? Oh, I know I, um, <laughs> you know when like when I went out and I started becoming a chiropractor, I didn't have any referral system. Medical doctors have a referral system. A lot of them are under the umbrella of some hospital, some, you know, partnership and that type of thing. So they get referrals and they do a lot of referrals within. I didn't have that. 
So, and, and when, when I started working as a chiropractor on Cape Cod, you know, you were the odd man out, you know, and not, not until um, I met a um, neuro uh, neurologist um, who liked my husband, you know, they were someplace conversing and goes, Oh, what do you do? What do you do? Then we start, and then we went out to dinner with them and then having, you know, better communication with them. So he goes, yeah, I'll refer you some people, you know? And so that was a big, that's a big difference. Um, now you have, you know, chiropractic is more mainstream, you know, yes. or like, and they, they also have the ability to be in hospitals and things like that. But at that point in time, you didn't have that. So you really had to hustle, you know, and think about like, okay, like how many patients do I need to see a week in order for me to like meet my bills. And then when I hit that, I had fun. Everything right. else was a certain, it was, it was, you know, fun and above and beyond that. But that's the reason for that too. And also, you know, chiropractors, you know, they say one in four, um, fail, that's a statistic that I'm aware of. It could be different from the last time I ever checked that. So, and I, and something that I've done since I sold my practices, I've covered practices for other doctors. And so I can go off into an office and I can CSI it like in like half hour. And I can look at, say like what's working, what's not working in this office, who's got to go because the, and also the, the biggest component in a chiropractic office or even in a functional medicine doctor's office or, you know, at any office is the front desk people. So many people tell me that they left the chiropractor or left the medical doctor because they couldn't stand the people at the front desk, you know? Yeah. And so if you're sitting there, it's just like, you know, when um, I gave a, a, a talk out in California in Burlingame to a, a functional medicine forum. And the thing I said, you know, I, I labeled my talk, my doctor just gets me. I just love my doctor. My doctor just gets me. I go, how many people in this room you know, there's like 40, 50 people in the room. How many of you people in here have ever heard your patients say that to you? And people like, you know, three people raised their hand. Right, right. And so, and, and I said, I go, you must not be medical doctors. And, and they were like, cause they could be medical doctors as functional medicine. That's the primary way to get in, you know, and they weren't. So, you know, out of those three people and they were, you know, like one guy's a chiropractor and he goes, my patients say that all the time. And I said, so if you, you got to have that person, you know, you have to be a human being, you know, and be a person, but you have to be a human being first when you're dealing with people in the chiropractic office that sets the tone for everything else that happens. And you've got to have people who, who are on the same page as you. And I always had a rule in my office too, that whoever was my front desk person, they needed to get adjusted. Cause they had to be able to explain what that looked like to somebody who was coming in, you know, and they had to be my yeah. ears, you know, so sometimes, you know, that post-it note thing, you know, would come in and they would say like, Oh, she's going to have, you know, a new member in the family. And they were always like, Oh my God, you're back here. How do you know that? You know, it's Susan, <laughs> Susan was my front, uh, front desk person, but there's that, you know, but that's the reason why, you know, like it, and a lot of people think, you know, they're going to do, um, I helped a doctor, um, you know, who, uh, to do sort some things out in his office a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, and the thing that he neglected to do is create enough um, activity and money for marketing. You know, you have people, if you're going someplace where nobody knows you, you have to get out in the community. You have to look for community events. You have to like, you know, go out and, like, you know, oh, you can, you can touch my face, <laughs> you know, you can, you can touch me, feel me. I'm like, I'm here. And this is where you can find me during the daytime. Um, and so that's really essential of getting, you know, and being really interactive in, in that way. Love it. 
Love it. Yeah. And, and that makes sense to me about the chiropractors. It's just, you know, it's just something that I've noticed of, you know, uh, over the, over the years, not, not all of them, but a higher percentage of them tend, tend to be more, much more entrepreneurial. Uh -huh. yeah. Well, I've looked at practices, you know, with a, you know, a curiosity to see, you know, as a lot of people yeah. are going cash and are not involved in insurance anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I looked at practices that have been for sale, you know, and sometimes that like the numbers just don't work. Like, where do you expect someone to get you know, you have a practice that's like, you know, booming and you're not going to leave. You've got to move. You've got to get out of this area. You know, you have to be willing to pick up, leave, <laughs> you know, or else it's not worth someone buying your practice because you're, you know, that name still sticks with you. And, you know, you have to be, you know, location, location, location. You know, it was in a beautiful location. The doctor who was selling the practice lives in that location. He had another practice someplace else that was close by. But it was a $20 adventure to come across the bridge every time you came. So who you're going to draw from that, you know, unless, you know, it's like, unless you made some agreement with the state, which isn't going to happen, um, then you had that, you know, that you're, you'd be always struggling, you know, even though the stats for that area are, you know, they had enough population for it but you yep. didn't have the drive of what you know people demographically did in that because they usually left they went over to the other side during the daytime when they were working got it yep. got it interesting so um any other you know just whether it was from that buying selling anything you've done in the future any other just sort of lessons that you know uh in terms of i'm mean, listening you you bought well you sold well and you know in, mm -hmm. in, in the, and obviously you did a, you know it wasn't it's not like you bought something and flipped it. You, you know, you bought something, did a lot of work to build it and then, mm -hmm. and then sold it. Um, but, um, you know, so any, any lessons from that or, or were there any, uh, I mean, you gave us one mistake in terms of not preventing the prepay and, and getting hit on taxes, you know, but any more general lessons you learned on the positive or, or negative side in terms of deals, uh, either through that or any Well, you know, the other thing, and like, especially in a service related industry, like chiropractic, the, um, you know, I had a great staff and like the, the guy who did all my muscle work and all my PT stuff came and leaned against the, on the counter uh, with me. I loved him because I could tell him to do something once yeah. and then he would do it. And I used to tell his wife, I go, Oh my God, I go, what a, what, what a price he is. I mean, you don't have to have the conversation <laughs> twice, but he just leaned against the counter and he said, Dr. Pat, he's not you. Mm. And he goes in his only way he's going to succeed is because you're leaving. You know, I'm, I was leaving Cape Cod and going to Boston and yeah. So, and he didn't have a, like he, you know, um, and one of my rules for selling my practice because I wanted to leave people in very good hands is somebody had to have the clinical skills. They had to have, you know, hands-on experience for so many years because you didn't yes. want to turn that over to someone who just came out of school, even if they had yes. the money, I wouldn't do that. Yes. Um, but the guy who bought it didn't have the social skills. I mean, he didn't have the, he wasn't as sharp on that. Cause I could talk, I mean, I'm from Michigan. We can talk to anybody about anything and not have it have to go someplace. It's just, you know, a conversation. And there's a couple of times when he walked in on a conversation I was having with somebody and he had no clue how to enter the conversation, mm. um, you know, um, or make it, you know, his sense of humor was, you know, too guarded. Um, and, and people used to ask me all the time when I was on Cape Cod, are you from New York? <laughs> and, and you have to have the energy. You have to have energy to be with people. And you have to yeah. have a, a way and, and lessons like not to get let somebody suck your energy away from you when you're going from patient to patient to patient and keeping it all straight. And so 
there was, you know, there, whoever, when someone's going to do a deal that they have the welfare of someone's health um, and well-being moving forward, going forward, they have to give consideration to the style of person who they're willing to sell the practice to. Because I was willing not to sell it. If I didn't find somebody, I was willing not to sell it, you know, and, and stay there longer. And I had an exit plan for that where I have a, a chiropractor who my patients liked, who was local would come in when I went on vacation for two or three weeks and he would come in and adjust my patients, you know, and I was thinking my thought process in the back said, if this doesn't, you know, work with this guy, I was going to approach him about coming in and posturing him to sell my business out each year at a certain percentage. So he really didn't have any outlay of money. Yeah. So there's a few things in that that I love that, that I want to break down. I mean, one, you talked about um, like getting the right buyer, right? Because, mm-hmm. Listen, obviously, I mean, I think, I think from, you know, what I gather, I'm sure part of that is, is that you want to make sure, I mean, you're in a care profession, you care about your patients. Yeah, you, you want to make sure they're taking, well taken care of going forward, even though you're not going to be there. Um, but the other thing is practically, if, if, if they're not successful, especially on a deal, which is most deals, you got back end money. Okay. Uh-huh. You're not going to get paid. Right. If, right. if you know, oh. if, if they fail. So, uh, absolutely. So, <laughs> absolutely. You know, so, so, so that's, that's really important, you know, finding the right buyer and you gave some examples on some of the criteria and I'm sure you had others of, of the right buyer. And then the other thing is, you know, uh, having a plan B, uh, which was effectively an internal succession something we've talked about on this podcast where, you know, you say, Hey, I'm going to bring somebody in and instead of selling to the outside, I'm going to sell it internally over a period mm-hmm. of time. Right. That's an eternal succession deal as opposed mm-hmm. to external sale. So that was a backup plan, which is great. And then the other thing I heard you say, which is amazing, it's because it's, it's actually one of the three fundamental tenets I talk about in my authentic negotiating book, which is you said, well, I didn't have to sell. So you were what, you know, I talk about clarity, detachment and equilibrium. You were detached from the outcome, meaning that if you got the right deal, you're going to do it. If not, you were in no rush. You weren't desperate. You got a plan B. You didn't have to sell. So, you, you know, you can make an objective decision. So um, I love, you know, there's several things in what you said, uh, uh, you know, that I wanted to break down. And I, I love that. It's uh, I mean, when you could be detached from the, you know, from a deal and, ha- and have alternatives. I mean, you're in you're in such a strong position. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I took a negotiating class at Harvard um, in their extension okay. school when, yep. after I sold my practice okay. and like all those things that, you know, we've yet yeah, you've talked about and we mentioned so far, um, it was the guy who, I don't remember the author's name, and I, but the guy who taught the class was the guy who was the person who wrote the book, Getting to Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, now, was it William Urie or was it, there were a couple of them that, uh, that, that co-authored that. Oh, uh, William, I know, a... I've, I've had, um, he's one of the co-authors, I've had the pleasure of spending some time with him, including mm-hmm. uh, walking the Abraham path in, in Israel and Palestine, uh, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, and he does major international negotiations. And uh, yeah, but so he was one of, the, there were several authors of that, uh, of that book and they're all in right. yeah, the Harvard Project on negotiating, whatever, they do great work. Yeah, it, it, it was it was really great, you know, and um, I also had a mentor during that class who um, I used to meet and say like, hey, this is what our you know, simulation is today. And I always got to be like the, like I was the main negotiator or the CEO and selling the little widgets and things like this. And he gave me some posturing things to do where after my final exam, going out the teacher said, he goes, who told you to do that? <laughs> so he happened to know the guy you know and um I said do you ever negotiate with him he said no he goes but that's like he goes you did a great job because I just got up and 
said, time to caucus. And my, I didn't tell my people that I was going to do that. And they all looked at me with a state of shock, you know, and some girls said, you remind me of my mother. I hate my mother. (laughs) When When we were in that, we were in that simulation. You know, and so she just said, she said, you know, like, I never thought about like when you're dealing with, you know, when you're in negotiation, the style of person who like, you know, like sometimes you're and being proactive, you're reactive and you don't understand why you're being reactive, you know, and I said, well, there you have it, (laughs) you know, because when you did that, then they then they lose their power in the negotiating um, aspects of that or what they bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know a lot of people have read, but, you know, if you haven't, and there are some, you know, more recent books, you know, in addition to mine that, you know, that, that are great negotiating mm-hmm. books, but, but, you know, Getting to Yes is such a classic book. It's uh, Roger Fisher and William Yuri, the two authors, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, William, I've had the pleasure to meet, as I said, um, I mean, classic, classic negotiating book. William uh, had a, about, uh, let's see, my book came out three years ago. I think his book came out around the same time. He had a follow-up, I mean, he's done several, but then, but he had, um, I think it's his most recent one. I don't know if he's come up with anything since, uh, which he did getting TS with the self where um, he added another element to it, which is actually consistent with a lot of stuff I talk about, which is the internal journey of negotiation. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the, the, the external and relationship one, but like some of the things you need to do, you know, internally to make sure that you're in, you know, in good shape. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love, I love their work and, the, and obviously Harvard's got a great program in negotiating. Mm-hmm. So and it sounds like you, uh, not only did you learn that, but you had natural instincts where you were doing some of those things even before you came in. I know. I was, I was really shocked. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I must have like, I don't know. And, you know, and, and the other thing I did in my office that I didn't mention before, and I thought about it and I spaced out, um, is that, you know, we hired a management uh, team. Okay. You know, and, uh, and, and like a chiropractic management group. Um, yeah. So that, you know, because what I wanted to do and the reason why I did that is that I wanted to get all the pieces of the puzzle together, the forms, the writing, you know, what the procedures were for the office and how to write them up and things like that. So that was very, very useful, you know, at that time. And it was also useful because my husband was French and he's kind of not paying that much in taxes. I go, there's a couple things that happen here. You live, you die and you pay taxes in the United States. (laughs) And I said, so you're not walking away like, you know, you've got to handle the, the, the business business aspect of this. And then after that, you can do whatever you want to do, you know, but so it was really helpful to have that management group in there because he, you know, he was, that was the buffer tool to like to be able to get things done and that type of stuff. That was smart. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. All right. Well, listen, I could, I could talk to you for a long, long time, but we are, you know, uh, limited time coming to the end of the podcast here. I want, uh, before I ask you my final question, I want to give you an opportunity to, um, let folks know the best place to find out more about uh, the things that you're involved in. And uh, um, so any kind of, you know, websites or uh, other things that you want, uh, uh, please let them know where they can find you. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, I'm Dr. Papillon and I have a Facebook page. Um, I have more presence on LinkedIn and um, I like interacting with people on that platform better. I have a, my website is healthteamnetwork.com and it's a good way to kind of take a peek at what I'm doing. I'm reformatting that uh, website and updating that also right now. So there's more current information. And, um, and like I said, I'm rewriting my um, Stronger Than Medicine course for female executives who want to get more out of their day. Um, and be able to like, you know, focus on their health, focus on balance and still get the productivity and hit the mark that they want to hit and also be at home too. 
Um, and, you know, I have my book um, that I wrote that came out just before the pandemic um, called Why Are You Sick, Fat, and Tired? And it's a guidebook and workbook um, and an advocating tool to find out what your health snapshot is right now. So you can see what your weakest link is. You can see where to start your health journey. You can see where to spend time, money, and energy on your health so that, because health, if you don't have your health, you can't do anything. You can't do your 100%. job. You can't be the CEO. You can't be the executive as there's always something wearing and tearing at you. So it really really helps you focus on what really matters and what, you know, and also gives you an opportunity to invest in your best asset, which is you. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So folks definitely check that out. All of those links and sites will be in the show notes. So if you're driving or, you know, you didn't catch them, don't worry about it. Check it out in the show notes. You'll know where to um, reach out to Dr. Pat. Um, so Pat, the, the final question uh, that I always ask on the podcast mm -hmm. is uh, freedom is my highest ideal. Uh, mm -hmm. And for me, it means freedom everybody from oppression in the world to the reason why I'm an entrepreneur and, you know, I build my business and don't have a boss. Uh, uh, what is, uh, and you know, it's fun. I don't want to lead the, the witness here, so to speak, but I just sort of <laughs> made a connection in my own mind between health and freedom, right? That like is obvious yeah. to me based on what you said, but, but in any case, I, I shouldn't even said that because I, I like to get your answers, but it, like, like it was a click for me, like, wow, you know, like, that, not that I haven't thought about this before, but like, how could you have freedom if you're not healthy, right? I mean, that's, a, that's like a core mm -hmm. thing. But in any case, what does freedom mean to you in, in, uh, in your life and business? Well, you know, um, you know, I was going to tie that in, that aspect of that health part. No because, <laughs> well, well, because you really can't, you know, when I look at freedom, you know, I wanted to have the ability, the lateral ability to be where I want to be and to yeah. travel when I want to travel. Yeah. And I want to be able to, you know, help who I want to help. And so if I have that level of freedom financially, then I can make decisions about exactly like, you know, where to live, how to live, what to say you know, and how I can pro bono some of my stuff out to people who need it and can't afford it. And so, you know, that's, that's that part of that freedom. The other part of freedom is I when I will tell you as when I worked and I do this all the time, when I go to sleep at night, I sleep, yeah. you know, and, you know, sleep is such a golden tool to restore, revitalize and, you know, and that freedom to be able to let my mind go so that it does not control me you know, is huge. And so, because that lets me have the, you know, the wherewithal to like adapt, you know, in, in other arenas, personally and professionally. And I never, um, you know, I, I always, I'm a, a, two words that people use to describe me as I'm persistent, resourceful, and resilient, three words. Um, and I, I always think like, okay, say this happened, what did I learn? How do you pivot? How do you get over there? You know, and I just, I look at it as what my goals are. And I love to have that, that mindset that, you know, nothing can stop me. And that's my freedom. Love it. Yeah. Pat, thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the Deal Quest podcast. Thank you. I love being here. This is so wonderful. <laughs> thank you for joining me on this episode of Deal Quest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, 
Go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.